Um, when it gets cold, angels go no- north for the winter. That's Sarah, age six. Angels work for God and watch over kids when God has something else to do. Michael, age seven. Uh, some of the angels are in charge of helping heal sick animals and pets. And if they don't make the animals get better, they help the kid get over it. Vicky, <laughs> aged eight. <laughs> And uh, finally, Matthew, age nine, says it's not easy to become an angel. First you die, then you go to heaven, then there's still the flight training to go through. And then you've got to agree to wear those angel clothes. (laughs) So we're looking at an encounter of an angel. And um, this is part one in a series on the the songs in, uh, in this Advent season. It's also a part two in a series online on vision in the church. And how do we respond to vision? The first talk was recorded on Friday and it's up there to listen to. And particularly I want to relate the Christmas story to our story at the moment as a church. What's going on in our lives and, and how do we have faith? And so today's subject is Mary. She's quite extraordinary, isn't it, she? I've been trying to rack my head around this, this dear woman, this, this teenager, as uh, she responds to an angel turning up and saying, I'm going to turn your life upside down. Everyone's going to despise and hate you. You're going to be mocked. Uh, you're going to be abused. You may even be stoned to death. Oh, and by the way, God wants this to happen to you. Uh, and she says in our English translation, just 21 words in response. And I, I want to take us through that uh, and then into the Magnificat and relate it to how do we cope with the visions that God has given us as a church. So if we go back into chapter 1, verse 26, we find the story. God sends the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to Joseph, a descendant of David, a man of, of pedigree, a good lineage, as was Mary herself. And the virgin's name was Mary. Angel turns up and says, Greetings you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Which is quite a nice start from an angel, isn't it? It's not, it's not too bad. Greetings, the Lord is with you. Uh, but look at the reaction it gives to this dear uh, teenage girl who, as we'll see, has great faith. Uh, she's greatly troubled at the words of this strange man and wonders what kind of greeting this might be. I mean... That's an understatement, isn't it, from our, for our accountant? <laughs> oh, I wonder what this greeting might be today. <laughs> so she's petrified. She's scared silly of this guy. And so the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. Ah, oh, that sounds nice. But then hear the punchline. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Jesus. Now, Apparently, at the time, most Jewish households would be hoping that the Messiah might be born into their household. There are still uh, Druze people today, aren't there, who uh, have, uh, they carry baggy pants around with them to catch um, a baby that might be born to a man who might come and be the Messiah. So if you're a Druze man, you, you walk around with a big baggy bag under your trousers in case the Messiah drops out one day <laughs> and you can catch him. But in, in those days, they were very much hopeful that the Messiah might come through, through their family, through their, their line. And here's this virgin getting this shocking news. Uh, you're going to conceive and bear a son. You'll call him Jesus. Who is he? He will be great and will be called the Son of God. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. This is what everyone's waiting for. Someone who will rise up to the throne of David. Someone who will be a conquering hero, a king, a redeemer of the poor and the downcast, a mighty conqueror, just like David was, a Goliath slayer to get rid of Herod, to get rid of the Romans. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom will have no end. Extraordinary stuff. So Mary asks the, um, the, you know, the, 
the main question here. <laughs> um, how's this going to work? Uh, I did my... Um, you know, GCSE biology last week, and um, according to the sex ed classes, uh, you have to have had sex to have a baby, and it hasn't happened. I'm a virgin still. Um, And the angel answers her, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One who will be born to you will be called the Son of God. He's not just the conquering king anymore. In this next announcement, he's God. And he's going to be born in a supernatural extraordinary, miraculous way. She may have been up to this point thinking, oh, crikey, Joseph, he's from the line of David. (laughs) No, okay, that that makes sense. So we're going to go, we'll get married, and then, you know, sort of nine months, 12 months later, we'll have a kid, I'll I'll bring him up, maybe even two, three years later when I'm a bit older, when I'm a bit more mature. The time my mum said I should have a baby, (laughs) you know, I'm sort of 18, 21, I'll, I'll, I'll bring him up and I've got time to prepare. But no, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. And this isn't just going to be a royal king. He's God. He's God himself. And just to, you know, as, as you make an argument, you state, explain, illustrate, don't you? You, you don't just sort of say what you're saying. You, you give an illustration, and example to back it up. The example then is Elizabeth, your aging relative, is also going to have a child in her old age. She who was unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Uh, no word of God will ever fail. No word of God will ever fail. What a great line that is. No word of God will ever fail. No word of God will ever fail. Elizabeth's having a baby. That's a natural sort of miracle. God's opened her womb. She's naturally having a child. But you're going to have the son of God, Mary. How do you respond to the most enormous vision that ever was? Mary says her next few words. I am the Lord's hand servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel leaves her. And she pretty much immediately goes off to Elizabeth. And, um, and the baby in her womb triggers a reaction in John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb. And uh, Elizabeth announces how blessed Mary is among all women. And in response to that, Mary sings this extraordinary song, the Magnificat, uh, verse 46 onward. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from the thrones and lifted up the humble and filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He's remembered his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And she hang out with Elizabeth while she got more and more pregnant before returning home quite possibly to be killed by the villagers when they saw this unwed woman, (laughs) unwed teenager, turning up heavily pregnant on their doorstep. What do we learn about Mary and what do we learn about how we receive vision from her amazing song here when she's affirmed by Elizabeth, her relative? The first thing I think we see in in the Magnificat is that she has a Godward focus. She rejoices in God. She glorifies God. He knows that he's mighty and he does wonderful things. She says, holy is his name. That refrain comes in a famous prayer, doesn't it? (laughs) Holy is your name. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Can you imagine the prayers that Mary taught her son Jesus as he was growing up on, on her lap? 
pray to God, holy is his name. Jesus, how should we pray? Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. She, she oozes out a sense of who God is. How does she know these things? Well, as we look through the next verses, she is drenched in scripture. The words that come out of her are scriptural words from the Old Testament. She talks about the mighty deeds he's done, how he scattered the proud, how he brings down rulers and lifts up the humble, how he fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich empty away. It's, it's a refrain, actually, of Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel, if you know the story of 1 Samuel, another uh, lady there who has a miraculous child. Hannah, though, the mother of Samuel. And she says many of the same things. And Mary knew those words. They echo out in what the Holy Spirit says through her in the Magnificat. Great thing for us to remember. If you want to hear God speaking to you, there's one guaranteed way that you get God to speak to you. You read the Bible. You drench yourself in the Bible. And then the Holy Spirit can do what Jesus said the Holy Spirit does. What does the Holy Spirit do? He reminds us of what God has already told us. If you want God to speak to you prophetically and you're standing here like a blank canvas and you know nothing of the scriptures, everything he has to get into your thick skull is like a brand new breakthrough. But if he's already broken up the ground of your mind, all he has to do is say, do you remember that thing I already spoke to you when you were reading the Bible this morning? It's no accident, is it, that if you read notes like Every Day with Jesus or do the the common worship daily prayer or you have your own bible in a year discipline that each day those scriptures can seem to accidentally speak into your exact circumstance because <laughs> the bible's alive and it speaks to us and when you come to that point of praise or, or of need it comes out again because the holy spirit reminds us of what he's already t- taught us mary knows who god is and she knows the scriptures and they ooze out of her and she wants Uh, extraordinary transformation in her society. She has a vision that the coming Son of God, the coming Messiah, is going to be one who turns the world upside down. It's not going to be the same anymore. The, The proud and the mighty who are just pushing us down are going to have the tables turned on them, quite literally, in a temple one day. The oppressors are going to have their end. And those who are weak and humble are going to be filled with good things. It's the Beatitudes already there in Mary's song of praise. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are you when you hunger and search for the right things. So imagine the influence this woman had on her son as she nurtured him and brought him up in accordance with the vision that God had given her through an angel and the response from the scripture that came out of her mouth when her cousin triggers it in her. So how do we cope with the visions God gives us for his life? I wonder if you've got a vision for your life. If you've been on the grave course, you'll have been encouraged to uh, devise a personal vision statement where you try and think what's your shape, what spiritual gifts, what heart, what abilities, what personality, what experience you have that come together and say, this is what you should be all about. I remember when we were camping together at New Wine, some of us, uh, uh, my friend John are coming here and saying, I've had a vision for my life for the last six or seven years and it seems to be coming towards a climax now. I'm getting to the point where it's tipping over and I know that things God has said are beginning to come to pass. Have you had that experience? Have you drenched yourself in scripture, tried to listen to God, say, what's my heart? What's my ability? What's my personality? What experiences have I got? What gifts have I got? God, what do you want to do with me? 
Mary must have been a dreamer, I think. She must have been dreaming as she was walking around, as she was oozing the scriptures. She must have been dreaming of a coming deliverer, of someone who would make things right. There are people in this room who spent years wanting God to make this building right, aren't there? Some of you are here right now. Chris there was marvellous in just longing for this building to be right. Many of you who live in this area saw it get closed in 2000 and you prayed every time you passed it saying, God, this isn't right. Restore the honour of your name in this place. This building should not be empty. It should be restored. And a great divine coming together, as I said in the podcast uh, talk that you can listen to, of frustration, feeling and faith came together through uh, both activists in the community and then what God was stirring in us four years ago now, nearly four years ago. And and the first APCM I had where I said, I wonder if God wants us to do anything in this building in 2012. And God's come together and brought a mighty thing into place here. Uh, And we're at this point now, aren't we? A year on. But let's, let's imagine, Mary's received the vision so beautifully, hasn't she? She's got this sense that the Messiah's coming. He's the king in the line of David, but he's also the son of God. And there she is. She's three months in the safety of Elizabeth's home. Elizabeth believes in her. Elizabeth trusts in her. She has a nice three-month head start while everything seems good, doesn't it? If you're a vicar, they say you have a three-year head start normally. It's called the honeymoon phase. <laughs> After that, it gets really tough. The, the thumbscrews start going <laughs> and the pressure gets turned up. She has a lovely three-month uh, head start. And then she has to walk home into literally what must be like a lion's den, where people will have picked up stones to chuck at her. And if Joseph hadn't had a revelation from, another, from, from the same angel saying, marry this woman... She would be dead. Her life was utterly at risk for being a wanton woman. Not only for for the sexual thing, but the Magnificat in itself is far worse than the fact that she got pregnant. Here she is blaspheming if she's wrong. And blasphemy is one of the Ten Commandments. You do not hold the Lord, the God's name in vain. You don't say this was of God if it's not of God. It's an outrageous thing to do. When Jesus said, um, when they asked him, are you the son of the most high, the blessed one? He says, it is as you say. That's the point when they rip their clothes and want to crucify him. What she's saying in a Magnificat, what she's saying in saying that an angel uh, said the Holy One would come on me and overshadow me. What she's saying in saying that this boy is God is utter blasphemy if she's wrong. And she should absolutely certainly be killed for that in the culture she's in. Do you see the risk she's walking in? Do you see how terrible it is, how terrifying it would be if she was anyone but the person she is here? Ordinary as she is, but faith-filled as she is. She walks into what could be hell on earth and holds on faithful and firm. She goes on that horrendous journey on the little donkey, hopefully not hearing the carol going round and round in her head as we hear at home. Uh, there's a mixture of little donkeys and Santa Clauses and uh, twinkling stars in our home all the time at the moment. But she, hit, she goes on that horrendous journey, heavily pregnant, gives birth to a baby in a cave or a stool or a stable or whatever it actually is. And then she's into exile. Some wise men turn up and, and another angel says, Get out of there. Go away. And she ends up in Egypt. And then eventually a king dies. She gets to go back to Nazareth. She brings up her kid. But the sense of illegitimacy over him hanging over his head while she has other children. I wonder what it was like with Joseph. The tension of the first son being absolutely perfect. I wonder how the second son, the the natural son, felt. 
and the third and the fourth and the fifth and the daughter, how did they feel in this mix with perfect big brother? All the tension she'd have had in her heart. And then nothing happens. Nothing happens for 30 years. He's just learning the carpenter's trade. Until one day, according to John's gospel, they get to a wedding and she just sort of cracks. You know, she's heard about the, the baptism uh, of Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming down. One of her friends has run out of wine and she prods Jesus and says, come on, do something about this, son. There's sort of a frustration coming out. I've had this, I had an angel. Do you know what I went through to give birth to you? For goodness sake, sort out this wedding, would you? <laughs> and then there's that point where Jesus is with his disciples and and she's calling him to come outside with his siblings. She maybe want to hone him in a bit, making sure he seems to be extending beyond what even she thought might happen. And he looks across at her and says, actually, anyone who does the will of God is my mother and my brother and my sister. That must have been just excruciating in a, in a, in a motherly way. And then on the cross, of course, waiting for the resurrection to happen holding on and helping, as we understand, helping Matthew to write his gospel later on, (laughs) helping Luke, giving him source information, helping the church to grow in the years after Jesus' ascension and after Pentecost. What an extraordinary woman. She receives vision from God and she holds on to it through thick and thin. Just last week, we, um, a couple of the development group and, and I went to visit St. Peter's in West Harrow. It was an empty building, not dissimilar to this one here. Uh, and uh, Christchurch Roxheath, a, a great church in the New Wine Network, um, looked at it and they said, we, w- we would like to get this open somehow. The council were given charge of developing it architecturally, very, very badly. Um, and they chopped up into 50 different rooms on the inside, including a small sanctuary upstairs. And 30 to 60 of the best people from Christchurch Roxheath uh, rocked up there and pioneered a worshipping community there that stayed 30 or 60 for quite a long time. Eventually, a vicar who was here a couple of weeks ago in, in our prayer meeting, Will Vanderhaar, went along um, had a lovely ministry. You may have heard him speak. You can hear him on the HDB network um, websites quite a lot. He had a great ministry of mental health and all sorts of um, the outcasts of society and those who are just marginalized started coming into the church as well as some families around his own family life. Uh, and now they've had to have two services there on a Sunday morning. Uh, they've outstripped it. They're actually now talking about building a community hall on the grass outside the church. I find that sounds slightly familiar, doesn't it? Uh, outside the church because they, they need the nave back uh, for the worship because the worship is now so big that they can't fit them in there. They say that when they have four or five hundred people, this is the vicar after will now, that they're going to they're gonna try and do something like that. It's extraordinary, isn't it, what Mary does? Because she receives... A seed, quite literally. And the seed grows. And grows and grows. And then it has to be nurtured and cared for. Fed. Taught. Holy is his name. (laughs) With Mary's prayer. Becomes Jesus' prayer. And she grows it. And she develops it. And she builds it. And she loves him. And she teaches him and she takes him to temple to the point that by the time he's 12, he knows more than the the scribes and the the Pharisees. And he outclasses them in theology at 12. What can kids do? They can do extraordinary things, can't they? 
She teaches him so well. And he teaches others and he surpasses her. And she allows him to surpass her. Her initial contribution becomes his alone ministry where everyone is now his mother, his brother, his sister. But she still watches and sees the fruit of her labor come to pass over 33, 34 years. When God gives you a vision, it often comes with some time lags into it. There's lots of reasons for that. Sometimes things just take a long time to grow up like children do. (laughs) Sometimes it takes that long to get under our skin and change us entirely. Sometimes we can just do one thing of a vision, can't we? This is what we get in 1 Corinthians. It says that Apollos preaches, Peter waters, Paul reaps, and sometimes the other way around. You may start something off that you never see the end of. You may be the person who breaks up ground and never gets to reap the wheat that comes in. Maybe you get to see some or most of it. But for most people, you only get to see some part of the journey that people have, don't you? But the visions that God has are for his glory alone, aren't they? No one gets the credit for it. It's important, I think, that Jesus looked at Mary that day and says, anyone who does the will of God is my mother. Because she was supposed to be the most blessed of all women, the most favored of all women, but she was never meant to be prayed to or revered or godded. <laughs> that glory is for God alone. Same for all that God wants to do in this community at this time. He will not share his glory with another. There is no other. I will not share my glory with another. There is no other. And piece by piece, Lego brick by Lego brick, he builds up something that is glorious out of things that are very small. I wonder what you feel your contribution to God's visions that he's given you personally, but also corporately in a church life at this time is. Maybe it feels like a tiny Lego brick. I'm thinking of Lego because my son's just had his birthday and every present that counts for him is Lego at the moment. But isn't it wonderful how out of tiny little pieces you can make these great things. I was watching the Lego movie with him yesterday and it has it all in animation. These these tiny little bricks being made to come alive. And we are living stones, Peter tells us. We're living stones. We're like Lego bricks alive, built together on top of each other. We form something far beyond ourselves, something miraculous, something wonderful, something that will go on forever. The time of this building being closed is over. The time of retreat has passed. The time of death and despondency, of the failing of the sadness, is gone. We're going into Christmas number two with a worshipping congregation here. Christmas number 33 may be utterly different. (laughs) We may be in a time of small beginnings, but we're on a path that God has ordained and directed and is in charge of and is building and is growing and will last and will last and will last. Why? Because we heard the word of the Lord and we responded to the word of the Lord. It's just such a beautiful phrase, isn't it? As I sort of bring this into land, just to take us back into the passage. That very beautiful phrase that Gabriel says, for no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. No word from God 
will ever fail. May God bless his word to us today. Amen.